I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, May 12th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, a story that we cover a lot here on the Peak Daily is the Rogers attempted acquisition of Shaw. Now, as we've talked about before, there's a bunch of bureaucratic hurdles that the deal needs to pass in order for it to happen. And they've actually reached the stumbling block on one, the Competition Bureau, who says that they need to find a competitive buyer for Freedom Mobile, the, the discount mobile carrier. So what do you, first of all, what do you think about that? The Competition Bureau is trying to make sure there's competition. And are you breaking news that the Peak is actually buying Freedom Mobile? I'm breaking, I, I'm actually not, I'm, I can't disclose that. No, but you know what I will say is that, you know, there's a number of different buyers in place and it will be very interesting to see who they choose. So there's ExploreNet, which owns the Royal Internet Provider, but I, I believe that they're owned by a US private equity firm. So I think they might be off the table. Then there's Videotron in Quebec. So that's a Quebec owned company. That's probably more competitive. And then there's this guy, Anthony Lacervera, and he owned Freedom Mobile. He, he's the one who brought Wind Mobile to Canada and he wants to buy it back now and he's just doing it by himself. So anyways, it'll just be interesting to see where they go with this because there are a number of different buyers and there's pros and cons to each of them. Well, it, well, it's not going undiscovered by the Competition Bureau. They're giving it a thorough review, which I guess is their job. Brett, aside from mobile competition in Canada, which we always dive into, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, remote work. For our second story, environmental impact. And for our third story, Michelin stars. For our first story, as more people take advantage of the opportunity to work remotely, extend vacations, or just really take a vacation at all, Airbnb has unveiled changes to its platform that cater to longer stays. I like the sound of that, Brett. With travel kicking back into high gear, what can Airbnb users expect on the app this summer? Well, there's a bunch of different features on the app. So there is updates to include a new search based on category, the ability to book two listings in one flow. We'll get into what that means. And there's travel insurance for guests. This is all per TechCrunch. Now, Airbnb is announcing these changes as travelers get back to globetrotting after the pandemic. Last quarter, Airbnb booked a record-breaking 102 million, 102 million experiences and posted revenue of $1.5 billion, up 70% compared to last year. The average daily rate is also increased by 37% to $168 over the same time in 2019. It's interesting to see just the difference in dynamics between Airbnb and the Ubers and Lyfts and those types of marketplaces. It's just, it's fascinating to see the difference between two. Obviously, Airbnb is doing much better right now. And building on that success, in a video on Twitter, CEO Brian Chesky outlined the new features, which include categories which open up options in new cities and towns with homes organized by what makes them unique. And so you'd be able to search for things like amazing pools and creative spaces or Arctic locations, which is the last place I want to go on vacation. But I know that's that's for some people. So I guess they're adding adjectives into Airbnb. Yeah, but exactly. split stays, <laughs> split, split stays are also uh, part of the new features. And if you can't decide between a treehouse or a cave dwelling, you can now look at splitting days that are over a week long between actually two homes. That just seems like a lot of work. If I'm on vacation for two weeks, I got to have one week in one place and then move all my stuff to a different place, you know, in a different neighborhood. I don't know. Anyway, not for me. But the last one actually is pretty interesting. It's called Air Cover. And so guests will now have Airbnb travel protection, including check-in and get what you booked guarantees, which and I'm surprised this wasn't a thing before because you hear about these horror stories of people showing up and not getting what they thought they'd be getting. So including myself, by the way, who got an Airbnb that didn't have sheets once, which was very annoying. So anyways, I'm, I'm happy that's coming out. 
Although travel has rebounded, Airbnb continues to navigate stays that go horribly wrong, as Brett was describing, criticism over misrepresented homes and absurdly high cleaning fees, and the impact of illegal short-term rentals in municipal housing markets. Now, here in Canada, cities are still trying to regulate, license, and crack down on the growing number of Airbnbs, which push rental prices in major markets higher and make hosts, landlords, and condo owners legally vulnerable. And while the end experience and sentiment towards Airbnb vary widely, depending on who you ask, these updates aim to bring the enterprise-grade infrastructure of a large hotel to a vast community of individual hosts and, of course, generate more revenue along the way. We love that revenue, Jay. <laughs> For our second story, Alberta's highest court has ruled that a 2019 federal environmental impact law it overreaches into provincial jurisdiction and is therefore unconstitutional. You know, as always, this is one of these themes that we always talk about, but that tension between environmental and energy policy. What's happening with this court case now? The Court of Appeal ruling covers the Impact Assessment Act, which gives the federal government power to evaluate major, although not all, contentious projects like pipelines or oil drilling and their effect on environmental issues like climate change. Now, when it comes to challenging federal climate initiatives, this is not Alberta's first rodeo, as you can imagine. In 2020, the province's Court of Appeal deemed the federal carbon tax unconstitutional on similar grounds, but the Supreme Court ruled otherwise. Of course, the IAA is so unpopular in Canada's energy heartland, and really it's been unaffectionately renamed the No More Pipelines Act, this by critics, which expects to bring in $13.2 billion in resource revenue this year, most of which, obviously, is driven by the oil and gas sector. Now, arguments against the IAA, the Impact Assessment Act, <laughs> I, like, I kind of like IAA better, include that increased regulations and oversight can create uncertainty and scare off investors for major projects. Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Canada's largest oil and gas lobby feel the same way. Now, Jay, why should Peak Pals care about the, this latest Court of Appeal ruling? By now, we've all come to realize that energy exports can be mighty lucrative. And now Alberta's willing to battle up to the Supreme Court to protect this profitability. When it comes to successfully fighting climate change, it's up to the feds to foster a unified front across provinces, which requires, well, frankly, the impossible task of keeping everyone happy. And for our final story, for almost 100 years, Michelin guides, these are guidebooks published by the French company Michelin, which is also the tire company, have been the preeminent tastemaker in global fine dining. And starting for the first time this fall, a selection of Toronto's restaurants who make an inspector's cut will receive the globally renowned award of a Michelin star or two of them or three of them. Brett, this is pretty exciting for the nerdy foodies out there. For those who don't know, what is a Michelin star? It's exciting for the normal foodies too, Jane. Across 35 nations, only 135 restaurants hold the coveted three-star designation, three Michelin star designation. And now Toronto is looking to make its culinary mark and add to that list. And also uh, a fun fact, as you mentioned, I think it's hilarious that a tire company is now setting the standard in global luxury dining. <laughs> well, it is helpful if you want to take a road trip, you're going to need new tires. But with over 7,500 unique restaurants, Michelin Guide International Director Wendell Polenik, I know I've butchered that name, told Toronto Life the city was, quote, an obvious first move because of the diversity, the vibrancy, the youthfulness of the local culinary scene. We were really impressed by the fact that despite the pandemic, the chefs and their teams emerge even stronger than before. I guess that might be questionable, although I get what I get what they're saying. So, Brett, why should people else care about the Michelin man coming to Toronto? 
So Canada's hard-hit restaurant industry is finally seeing positive signs as pandemic-era restrictions lift, but a Michelin star can boost an eatery's fortunes like nothing else. Per a 2020 study, receiving one star increases a restaurant's activity up to 20%, two stars up to 40%, and three stars up to 100%. There's people who travel around the world trying to go to every Michelin star restaurant. It's a really big deal. And having Michelin star restaurants, like I said, it draws those tourists from all around the world who will travel just to eat at them, meaning that Canada also has secured its place near the top of the tourism world and a big chunk of that globe trotter coin as travel opens back up you combine that with the ability to sleep in a treehouse or a cave on airbnb in two separate weeks and you've got yourself the perfect vacation jay peak pals thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily canadian business news podcast in the country if you've got a second why not follow this podcast in your app of choice and leave us a michelin star worthy review <laughs> yeah more than three, though. We're looking for five on that five, one. Five, yeah. and, and if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, even though yesterday we recorded a pod and today it ran, we talked about hockey. The Leafs won. We did not curse them. So now we can talk about hockey as we go into game six. Well, yeah. And, and then we'll have to talk for the next round because Leafs in six. <laughs> oh, see, now you have absolutely cursed it. <laughs> so, Brett, on that note, have a good day. <laughs>